The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC on this rainy um, Sunday, setting the week up for a, a, a whole week of rain, it looks like, right? And so it's good to have you here. Good uh, to have those of you joining online. When you are in ministry, you are called upon to wear many different hats. You know, when I first moved up here, I, uh, I had to wear the hat of the janitor. I wore that for a while, you know? So you wear all kinds of hats in ministry. Well, this week I was gifted with a new hat, um, and I thought I'd share it with you. It came from the architect. Yeah, man says Pastor Jimmy Holbrook. He said that these hats, all the different ones have different colors, and they mean different stuff uh, to the contractors. And so, <laughs> I feel like an oil, uh, should I be in the oil field? That's what I should feel like. Um, anyway, I, why do I have that? We got the permit this week. Come on, man. Yeah. So, Anyway, everything's set up uh, for that, and this should be taking off soon, and wouldn't you know, it's going to rain all week when we got the permit, <laughs> but uh, the schedule is set up, and uh, this thing should go up quick and be finished by uh, August is their projected finish date, so that's exciting, man. Lots of things are going to happen here over the summer, and just wondered if we were ever going to get that permit, but thank the Lord. We did finally get it, and so things should start happening, and dirt should start moving, Things will be a little different um, as you come in from week to week. Once it gets going, they'll be taking off that front portico. And so uh, just be aware of those things happening right here in the near future. And some of you are going, what is he talking about? Well, you can see the vision board out there in the uh, lobby on your way out, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about with the structure that we have planned for the exterior of the building, just to sort of tell the story of what the Lord has been doing on the inside of this place to those on the outside. And so we started this series a couple of weeks ago called Apocalypse, and Apocalypse sounds like a very negative thing, but as I told you that it, um, and for the biblical writers of the Old Testament, as they were um, writing in apocalyptic style, it's, it's an optimistic vision, a prophetic vision and word that God gives uh, to humanity of the climactic event that he has planned and how he will intervene in human history. And so it's not, it's not a doom and gloom thing if you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer uh, and you haven't accepted Christ, it will be a doom and gloom thing. But for those of us who have accepted the Lord and we follow him, man, this is a very powerful and encouraging thing that the Lord has shared with us as we work through the book of Revelation. And I shared with uh, you last week that there's sort of an outline that comes there in chapter one of how the book flows. And it says that uh, John was to write down the things that you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. And so we have this um, three-tier um, outline for the book of Revelation. And what you have seen was the resurrected Christ. He saw Christ in all of his glory. And we laid that out last week, man. He was overwhelmed by it. It says he fell as a dead man. And the Lord told him to get up, that it was him, to be not afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the firstborn of the dead. And so um, we see that he had a vision, that, like the things which you have seen. All right, that's what he saw is the vision of the resurrected Christ. And that's important because there's a lot of symbology in apocalyptic literature. 
And it's written, uh, one reason it's written in symbology is to protect the, the reader and the writer from uh, opposition at, during the time it was written about, because it's written about a lot of government leadership and things of that nature. And so it's, it's written kind of like a, a code almost, but it has meaning. It feels very unfamiliar to us today, but it was very familiar to Jewish people uh, in that day and age. And then the second part was the things that are. And so he was to write about the condition of the church and what was going on in the church. And then we learned that he says you're to write about the things that are to come. And so in chapter 1, we have the things uh, that you've seen. In chapter 2 through and 3, we have the things that are. Like this is a message, and he writes these seven letters to the churches. And then the things that are to come begin in chapter 4. Now, um, what's interesting about this is that it explains the condition of the church. And so there are seven letters written, but there are a lot more than seven churches. And these seven churches were very influential churches. And as you leave Patmos, which is an island off the Aegean Sea, about 50 miles off the coast, then it's sort of you see this traveling route that these letters circulate around. And these were influential churches. And even though each church is addressed individually, the letters were for the, the entire book of Revelation was to be given to every church. And so that's what Revelation means is apocalypse. And so they would take, and, and it wasn't just that, oh, here's our part, the rest doesn't apply to us. No, it was for the whole church. And so what would happen is it came first uh, to the church of Ephesus. They would read it. One of their scribes would make a copy of it, and they would send it on. And he would keep making copies, and the next church would read it out loud and proclaim it. He would make copies of it, and they would send it on. And that's even how we got a copy of it today in our Bible is that there's just tons of manuscript evidence of how the New Testament believers would make copies of the word, man, as, it, as they received it. And so it, it talks about, in chapter 2, the condition of the church during John's time. But it also, very interestingly, explains the condition of the church and that what we need to be aware of throughout all time, for all time periods. And there are some, I don't know that I fall into this camp, um, and it doesn't make them wrong or um, unorthodox to believe this, but there are some who believe that, that the seven letters have kind of a dual purpose and that they show the condition of the church right then when John was writing. And it's also, uh, they call it hist uh, historioprophetic, I think is what they call it. And it is where each of the seven letters are about a different time period and age of the church and what the church would go through. And I could see where that, that would be, um, I can understand where someone would, would interpret it that way because you could see a lot of the different time periods through church history, a lot of what is written about the church is sort of in that condition during that period of time. And as we study uh, this book of prophecy, for me, I see a, a couple of things going on, the, the Lord has sort of confirmed for me, is that I, I see a lot of the prophecy kind of like, um, we call it uh, typology in Scripture, where like a Moses is a type of Christ. He's not the Christ, but he shows us what Christ is going to be like. David is a type of Christ, not the Christ, but shows us a lot about what the Christ is going to be like supernatural abilities, and so on and so forth. 
Well, in prophecy, I see um, what I would call typophecy. <laughs> That's not a word. I made it up. Okay? And, and so what I mean by that is I think that a lot of what we read and study has been fulfilled in a type. And I think a lot of it is going to be fulfilled in a greater way in the future. And so we'll get into that as we get into chapters 4 uh, through 21, I think is how many chapters there are in, in Revelation. But we'll, we'll get into some pretty cool stuff. But right now, we've got to spend some time. What does the Lord say um, to the churches in these seven letters? And so the number seven represents completeness in Scripture. That's how we know um, that... Uh, it has to do for all of the church. So the number seven is always uh, symbolic of something that is complete and whole. The Lord created for seven days. On the seventh, he rested. It was complete. His creation was complete. Um, and so like, we can see seven, like that represented uh, significantly throughout Scripture. The, the mark of the beast is something everybody goes, what is the mark of the beast? Is like 666. So six is one short of seven, which seven would be a sign of perfection and completion. Six falls short of that. And so the number 666 is exponentially like taking it and, and saying like very emphatically, this is evil. Okay, so that's what that, that number uh, represents. And so we see there's a lot of symbology like that in Scripture or in the book of Revelation. The, again, um, the, the, the message that we're going to read of these letters is applicable to all churches, so that means it's applicable to us today. Not only is it applicable to OPCC, but it's applicable to you individually because you are what makes up the body of Christ, the church. And so each one of us individually can study these letters, and we can take away from them what's something that the Lord would say to us about how we're supposed to follow Him and what it means to uh, be a believer in our day and age. And so like... As we unpack them, they contain instruction and warning, not only for the church, but the individual Christian. Now, Ephesus is the first letter, and it was an incredible city. Um, like right now, I mean, it used to be in a totally different, geographically, it was totally different than it is today. It basically is a place of ruins today. But during the, this time, before it was sort of filled in, the harbors and everything were filled in with silt, and geographically it's changed, it was sort of like, man, a very influential place, maybe the New York City of the day. It was, a, it was an area sort of like we live in, Overland Park. Uh, very wealthy place, um, great economy. They, there, there was just a lot of trade that happened, a lot of opportunity, a lot of great schools. A lot of people lived in the city of Ephesus. And there were a lot of religions. There were a lot of pagan religions. There was a lot of st crazy stuff going on. And we'll see in these letters that like this letter is written to second generation Christians. So the church at Ephesus was founded by the Apostle Paul. So when you read the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and that, that happens probably about 50 years before the writing of Revelation. And he started that church. The Apostle John is the author of the book of Revelation. He pastored and served as a pastor in the uh, church at Ephesus for many years. Right now, he's in exile on the island of Patmos as he receives this vision. And so it was a very well-known church and a very strategically 
located church where the gospel traveled throughout uh, the Roman Empire from uh, the church of Ephesus. A lot happened out of that ministry. And so now um, we're, we're, we're quite a ways beyond the, the time of the resurrected Christ, when Christ actually, the first Easter Sunday, rose from the dead. Probably around 70 to 90 AD, man. I like to preach when it's thundering outside. <laughs> it just feels like something's going to happen. Uh, anyway, so, so, uh, so, like we're, so we're, we're in this realm where maybe you, your parents met Jesus and they saw the resurrected Christ. You were born and now you're growing up and you're in the church and your parents could have possibly even already died at this point. So we're talking about second generation Christians during this time and this letter comes to them and it starts this way. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now the word angel in the Bible can mean a created being, like, an, like we think of angel, but it also can mean messenger. And in this particular context, most scholars agree that this is, um, amen, Lord. <laughs> so most scholars agree that, that it, it is to the pastors of these seven churches. The, they were the sent ones they were leading. And so a human messenger. To the pastor's right, um, the one who holds the seven stars, he says, so to these churches, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so the, uh, the stars are the pastors and the churches themselves, in, or the pastors are the stars, and the lampstands are the churches, and being held in the right hand, I talked about this last week, is a sign of authority and protection of the Lord. This is going to be a fun Sunday. <laughs> and so for those of you uh, not, uh, watching out of town, it's raining and storming, and, and the Lord is affirming everything I'm saying right now. So the lampstands are the uh, church themselves. And so they hold the flame, the light of the world, which is Jesus who walks among us. And so Jesus moves in the midst of even OPCC. That's encouraging, man. And we can see that. Even how we got um, wrapped up in what we're doing in the exterior of, of the updates, man. The Lord took us on a journey. And we were trying to work through some things. And the way it all uh, came out and was unpacked and the design that we have, we weren't even going to do it. And the Lord walked among us, man. And he moved on the hearts of his people. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a situation where um, people were giving. Like, man, they were giving toward this. And, and so like we were like, man, the Lord must want to do this. We were thinking we needed to redesign the thing. And the Lord sort of took us to that guy. I look at that, I go, man, the Lord is walking among us. Every time I hear a story of transformation, which is something that a human being can't accomplish, I go, man, the Lord is walking among us. You hear a story of, of a life being laid down for the Lord and say, man, I, I want to give my all to the Lord. And you see the Lord is walking among us. And so that's, that's what this scripture is saying is that he walks among us. Even OPCC, we cannot see him. But as we look around at each other and we see each other laying our lives down and we ask ourselves the question, why are people doing that? 
It is because the Lord is in them, and he walks among us. And so as we unpack this, man, it's encouraging to know that he holds us in our right hand. He holds me as a pastor. Man, that is encouraging. It's overwhelming to lead a church. Because you're like, if if you have to do it in your own power, it is a terrifying thing. But to know, man, the Lord is saying to me as was one of his stars in this day and age, like he holds me in his hand and he protects me and he puts me in a place of authority. And, and why we teach so, so emphatically the importance of what we call abiding in the Lord. Jesus said, if you remain in me, you abide in me, you will produce fruit. And so as we abide in him and we remain and tarry and hang out with him and and we're in the word and we're listening to what he's impressing upon our hearts, he is protecting us, he is leading us in and out and directing um, the mission of the church. And so when we say, well, well, who makes the decisions around here? Well, we have a a team that does that, but ultimately as we look to that team, we, we expect them all to be abiding in the Lord and hearing from the Lord and giving us unity around the decision-making process. And, and that's so very important. And as we do that, man, the Lord say, man, I'll hold you in my hand. I will lead you in and out. And it even, you know, this, this, um, these seven stars, it's like a, um, what, what, what it, like making an interpretation about it. It's like a necklace with seven jewels on it. And, and each one of them is like representative of the church. And the Lord holds that necklace in his hand um, for all the world to see. And this is what he said, you shall be a city on the hill and you will shine brightly in the dark world. And so the Lord is offering his protection. And, and he does that for us even today. And then he says in verse two, I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. Here's the first takeaway when it comes to the kingdom stuff. Work hard. Like, be one who works hard. Because if you don't work hard in the kingdom, the kingdom hardly will work in your life. It's just the way it goes. That's why Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of Christ, and all these things shall be added unto you. I did not say work hard for your salvation. You cannot work for your salvation. It's a free gift of God. But once you receive that salvation, you are to put it to work. And that's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so we put our shoulder to the plow, or we put our hands to the plow. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you cannot. He said, anybody who puts their hands to the plow and keeps looking back is unfit for the kingdom of God. So he's like, put your hands to the plow, look forward, cut that row in the dirt, and work hard in the kingdom. And if you will work hard in the kingdom, you will see the kingdom will begin to work in your life. And it's incredibly encouraging to hear the Lord say, he takes notice of our work. Like He looks at us, and he sees us, and he goes, man, I, I see you, Ephesian Christians, I see you working hard. And he knows we're working hard and persevering in the kingdom, even when things are difficult. He knows it's difficult for us, and he appreciates the fact that we continue to press into the difficult things and await for him to provide the deliverance and provision that he will provide for us to navigate through the things he asks us to do. And so he says, keep it up, guys. I love this about you. And so today, if you come in here, man, and and you've been working hard, the Lord's word for you today is keep up the good work, man. I appreciate what you're doing. It doesn't make you more valuable to him, okay? So don't ever get into this mode of thought where you start to work hard because you're trying to please God. There's only one thing that will please God, and that is is if you have been covered, um, your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. And he looks at you and he sees, Jesus sees himself in you, 
That's what pleases him. But then, man, we can walk in the favor of God. And as, as we do that, it means we just work hard in the kingdom. And again, the reason why our, our country, and you'll hear me say this all the time, the reason our country is in such a mess and is so broken is we don't have enough Christians working hard. We have too many Christians who put their hand to the plow and they're looking back. And Jesus says, you're unfit for the kingdom. It's not how it works. It's not how the kingdom gets movement. And so the way we reverse um, the course of America is not through legislation. It's through laying down our lives and working hard. And the more people that we can get to do that, the more culture will be shifted because our kids will be different and their, 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 their um, passions will be different. The, the way they use their giftedness and resources will be different. They will invest in the kingdom because they understand how important it is to work hard. That's just for emphasis. Then he goes on, he says, um, and he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Here's the second thing. Work hard and love the word. This is so vitally important. These guys were students of the word. And, and the Lord, in this vision that he's giving to John, he says, say this to the seven churches. Say this to all churches. Say it to all the churches in the region right now at this time. And I want it recorded. I'm going to preserve it until I return. This will, this will continue to exist until the return of Christ. The Bible's not going anywhere. That's what the Lord said, man, that, that nothing about his word will pass away. And so his word to us is, man, I love it when you love the word. And he recognizes that they were students of the word and they tested what was taught. It says that you, you, you called out, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them to be false. You identify false teaching is what he's saying. And they would toss you out. They would toss you on your head if you started um, teaching something false that didn't, uh, that wasn't in accordance with what Christ and the original apostles taught. And so they were strong in doctrine. And doctrine just simply meaning like um, just the t their teaching of the word. They were strong in it. And not again. What's wrong with America? We have too many churches that are not strong in the teaching of the word of God. And that, and, and so, like, what happens is we, 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 need a, we need a homecoming of ministers who are committed to teaching the Word, not teaching self-help, not teaching anything else, and not teaching the, a Word that will fit with the culture. Like, the, the Word is the Word, man, and you got to love the Word, and the Word is not meant to come and shift and adjust to your life and become livable, like, so that you can tolerate it and go, man, I... I see the culture has shifted, and so probably, you know, when those guys wrote that, they didn't mean that. Listen, the number one law in interpretation, the science of interpretation is called hermeneutics, and the number one law is a text can never mean what it never meant, and they meant exactly what they wrote. And the objective of the word is to hit us in the broken places of our lives, and we shift and we start living out what the word teaches. We don't try to change the word to be what we want to live. And it's useless if you do that. And so, man, these guys, they, they would pick up on false teaching and they would call it out. And I, I want to say this, man. I, you know, a lot of times um, people will say things about our ministry um, to the community. 
And the greatest compliment that we get as a ministry, and I'm so thankful for this, is we teach the Word. I mean, I love this church because they teach the Bible, and, and you teach it, and you don't apologize for it, and we're not going to quit like doing that. That's what we're about. And if we quit, like if you, if you see me failing to teach the Word, and you come to me, and you say, man, I don't know if you were right on this. One, we need to kind of talk that out, right? And I need to either show you how maybe you were off or misunderstood me. But if, if I start shifting and you know, the Holy Spirit is going to show you. And what you should do to me is toss me out on my head. Amen, Brian? You should. If, if, if somebody starts teaching something contrary to the word, you don't keep going to that place. You don't keep investing in that place. You don't keep giving offerings to that place. Like you, if you either deal with it and say, man, that person needs to understand they're getting outside of the word and you either try to talk about it and work through it and maybe there's a mistake and they work through it and they repent. It's possible for anybody to do. Or if they won't do it, you leave. You leave that church. You get your family out of that church. I don't care how good the music is. I don't care how good the the children's ministry is. It's the worst thing you could ever do. The most harmful thing to, to your family is to keep them in an environment where the word is being compromised. And so like, man, that's, that's what we're about. We love the word here at this church. But it goes beyond that. Okay, It goes beyond just me loving the word and doing a good job of teaching the word. It's you got to love the word too. You got to love the word. You got to want to read the word. You want to. You got to want to be in it, man. It's got to be something that 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 you just are compelled to do, and you don't do it just because I told you to do it. You develop an appetite for it, and and, and so how do you develop an appetite for it? You start eating it. You start reading it, and all of a sudden you will start to have a hunger for it. You say, well, it's. It's hard to do. I know it's hard to do in the beginning. But remember what Jesus said, work hard. Work hard at that. And what you will find is as you begin to read it and, and, and you're living your day and you're at work or whatever you're doing, all of a sudden a verse will just come out of your mouth and you weren't even thinking about it. Or you will be in a situation where you're like, I don't know what to do in this. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will kind of like knock you on the back of the head and you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember I was reading about this the other day and I know exactly what to do. And you'll do it and then the kingdom will start working in your life. And then you're going to be like, man, I got to get me some more of that. This stuff is actually working in my life. And that's what we're trying to do in discipleship is to teach people how to do that, how to have a rhythm in their lives where they're sitting with the Lord, they're sitting in the Word, and they love it, and it's shifting everything about their existence. The only way to test what is taught is to get in the Word and know. Otherwise, you're just saying, I just trust Jimmy, (laughs) which I appreciate, and I think you should be able to trust your pastor but how do you know I'm right? Amen, Mike. How do you know? How would you know I'm right? You say, well, I just trust you. You seem like a good guy. There are a lot of good guys done a lot of bad things, man. So I, I, I really feel like I'm setting myself up here, right? Like I'm wanting y'all to go after me. I do. I want you in the Word. Because when you're in the Word, it's the healthiest thing that could happen for our church.
Our church will just get more and more movement. And so our church is not about, um, hey, let's see how big we can get. But our church is about, let's see how much impact we can have for the kingdom. Let's live our lives out in our generation to be the kind of people who work hard and love the word. And the kingdom is just at work in our midst. And our kids are seeing something that they've never experienced before as they watch us have a hunger for the word. And the only way to have that hunger is to eat it. And then he goes on. Now, I appreciate this about um, Jesus and these visions and, and um, these letters to the churches. He uses the sandwich approach. And if you're in a, a leadership position and you have to um, minister to people, always use the sandwich approach. You know what that is? You take a, you take a bun and a bun of praise and you lay that thing down and you tell people what they're doing right. And, and then you take the meat and say, you need to work on this. And then you put another bun on top and say, but you're really doing this part good too. Amen? That's the way you do it. That's the way Jesus did it. Okay? That's not a Wall Street principle. That's not a business principle. That's a kingdom principle. We see Jesus, he says, with the meat, yet I hold this against you. Now, you're working hard. You love the word, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Does that mean the Lord is going to take away salvation? No, it's a church. Remember, what is the lampstand? It's a position of influence. If you don't do this, I will remove your influence for the kingdom from you because you're not doing what you did at first. And so he says, what is the, the next takeaway? Is stay passionate, man. Remember how passionate you were when you first met the Lord. Now, for some of us, when we first meet, our Lord, meet the Lord, we don't, maybe we weren't real passionate. But I think everybody um, has an experience where their passion was increased. Like I became a Christian at nine years of age. And it was a big deal. You know, people made a big deal of it. I remember getting baptized. And I remember, I remember a change. But at 22, man, when I really understood moving from Jesus as Savior to Jesus as Lord, and I laid down my life, my zeal and my passion went to a whole other place. And, and it's never waned. It's, as a matter of fact, it has just grown over time. And so, like, he's saying, man, remember that. So even, like, remember that time whenever you were so passionate that it was all about the kingdom for you. And, and, and we all should have those moments. You say, well, I don't know if I have a time where I was really passionate about the kingdom. Well, you need to have a time. And we say, how do I have a time? Work hard and love the word. Right? And you, all of a sudden, you will get really passionate. We're talking about a divine passion, not an earthly passion. And so we're really passionate, and it's being driven by the Lord because we're working hard, and, and we love the word. And so these second-generation Christians had forgotten why they did what they did. They were just doing it. They fell in love with the work instead of Jesus, and that is so easy to do, As you, you, especially in a church, man. And, and like my last church, I remember, man, I, I've, always just, I've always just loved the, the Lord. He said, somebody asked me, he said, how do, you, how do you build a great church? How do you get a church to grow? You work hard and love Jesus. That's it, man. This is what we're talking about. And I, what did I do? I just preached the word, man. Just preached the word and wait on the Lord to bring the people that he wanted to hear it. And he started bringing them. 
And man, they started coming in that church and, and people were getting uh, saved and baptized and the church was growing. Man, we, we started around 250 or so and we were quickly at 350, 400 uh, regularly. We had to move to our gymnasium and s- kind of set it up at, like a chapel where we set it up and tear it down and, uh, every week and, and move chairs out there. And we raised money to build a new worship center. And then we finally moved into that, man. And there, it, it just kept growing by the hundreds, man. And it was so fun and, 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 and just watching the, the, the stories of transformation. But at some point, man, Jimmy, like uh, he got so busy and there were so many things flying at me. Man, people, people would call and I would be, they would ask me about, man, what, what should we do here? What should we do there? And I'd be like, I don't care. And I was just tired of listening to it. I remember, this is how bad it got. My mom's here today. My mom would call and I'd be like, oh, leave me alone. <laughs> like, th- that's awful. Like, that is awful to be there. But people, my brothers would call and I would just, I was exhausted. And it just felt like everybody wanted a piece of me. But what had happened, man, is when the church, the Lord was moving, and the more that he moved, like the more the momentum picked up, and the, and the more it was just like, it was amazing to watch what the Lord was doing. And that church, man, it just kept growing and kept growing. And, and, and at some point, it, it was more like a machine. And I just had to keep things oiled. And, and it started, like I let it encroach upon the time that I spent with the Lord. And so, so I was, now I, had, I didn't even know that I had done it. Like it's taken me a long time to like analyze this, right? But looking back, what happened was there was a period in my life where I unintentionally crossed the line and I fell in, in love more with the momentum than I did the master. And, and so like it just, it started making me vulnerable and, and so, like, when I, when I came here, man, I was like, man, I'm not ever going to do that again. And I just started making, as part of my work day, part of what I do for a living, because I am a, a minister, is I pray and read the Word. Like, that's just, I used to think, well, I tell the people they have to, they have to do, the, you know, you just need to get up before work and do your devotion time or find a time, and they've got full-time job. And then I finally realized, man, like, for me, this is like, I'm a professional athlete in ministry. And, like, Kevin Durant gets paid to shoot free throws and be able to make like 90-something percent. And so Jimmy Oprah got to be the best prayer and the best word studier in the whole church. And so I shifted and I said, this is just going to be part of my, my time with the Lord as part of my work week. And so that, that just was a transformational thought for me. And so like all the time as the church continues to get momentum, and I recognize the momentum, it's much like what was in my last ministry. My prayer is every day is, Lord, man, just, just help me to stay right here. I know where, where, where kingdom movement happens right here in this office, Lord. It happens when I get on my knees before you, and I stay in the word, and I call these people out before you, and I ask you to lead me. That's the most important thing that I do on a daily basis. And so, like, I just, man, I'm so aware of that, and just so guarded of that, want to protect it. And, and, and it's just like, man, so why, why do I go into all of that? It's because it's easy in kingdom work for the Lord to start moving and for us to unintentionally cross a line and we start loving what we're doing more than the one we're doing it for. Like a person's like, they're really good teachers. And they like, I'm going to teach uh, 
I'm going to teach a seminar. I'm going to start Financial Peace University at the church. And they start leading that man, and people start coming, and people start telling them, hey, man, you're great at this. This changed my life. This changed. And then all of a sudden, the, the reason they did that is because they felt the Lord called them into it. But then they get really busy. And they're, after they're working, 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 and then they got momentum, and now they're doing it because they love what's happening, and they've lost, it's easy to lose sight of what the Lord has doing. Small, like small group ministry, discipleship can be that way. Anything can be that way. Any activity for the kingdom can be such that we get so in love with what we're doing that we forget the one we're doing it for. And it won't work, man. It leaves us broken. And so G- Jesus is calling this church out on that. And remember... These are people whose parents met the resurrected Christ, and it just took a few decades, and they found themselves there. So do we think that we're any more immune to it than they were? And the Lord is showing us that. He says, you you don't work because you love the work. You work because you love me. It's dangerous because the danger is, is that what happens is when we start loving the work, we have a cooling of spiritual love, and the love for Jesus is replaced for love for things, and all of a sudden we end up with a compromised life and spiritual corruption because we love the stuff more than we do the one who made the stuff. And that's, that's just a danger we have to be aware of. Say, you know, if you've landed there, how do you get back? How do you get back? Well, I followed these three steps that the Lord gives us. First of all, you remember. And so I just stopped and started thinking about, man, how did I get here in ministry in the first place? I just loved the Lord. It didn't have anything to do with being on staff at a church. As a matter of fact, I never thought I would pastor a church. I thought pastors were weird, you know? And I didn't want to be one. <laughs> and so, but the Lord, through his wisdom and his, his prompting, man, I found myself in ministry. And, 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 and it was because I just loved him, man. I was working a normal job and, and I just loved the Lord and was, loved the word and loved to work hard in the kingdom. And he just took me on a journey. And so you have to remember, you have to remember that time that you were just full of zeal for the Lord. Then he says, Repent. You remember, and then you repent from where you're at. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Like, like Pastor Jimmy is talking about this stuff about um, loving the work more than I love you, and that's exactly where I'm at. Lord, and I'm sorry for that, and I need to confess that to you and ask him to forgive you. You remember, you repent, and then you resume. What? You resume doing what you were doing before. And for me, man, it was just falling in love with spending daily time with the Lord, being in prayer, and letting um, all of my ministry just be breathed out of my time with the Lord and not my ability to think strategically. And so, like, that's what this church is, is, is resting on. It's not resting on, oh, man, Jimmy, he's got all these great ideas. No, man, it's resting on me sitting with the Lord, hearing the Lord direct and lead me and trying to step out and follow in obedience what he's asking me to do and, and take our whole church on a journey. And so, like, you, you've got the same thing, man. The Lord, he wants you to walk that same thing out, and he wants you, you to be obedient into what he's calling you to do. And as you step into that obedience, man, what will happen is you'll see the kingdom start moving. You'll start working harder. You'll love the word harder. The kingdom will keep moving and moving, but always protect and always be looking at your life and laying that filter over it and going, man, where is Jesus in all of this? Because if, if, if when your ministry, when your life is healthy, when your life is healthy, not ministry, your whole life, you can look at it and you will see a whole lot of Jesus. 
And when, it's un- when my life is unhealthy, I can look at it and I will see a whole lot of Jimmy. And Abby appreciates when my life has a whole lot of Jesus and not a whole lot of Jimmy. Right? Amen. <laughs> and so, because, so, so like what you just like lay that filter over and go, where do I see Jesus at, man? And the more you can see Jesus showing up in your life, the greater um, your experience here in life will be. So your lifestyle and choices, what you have to understand is he says, man, if you don't do this, I'm going to remove your influence. And so for us as a body of believers and all that we feel the Lord has called us to do, your lifestyle impacts this church tremendously. It impacts our influence. It impacts our influence in the community because the favor of the Lord falling on your life is what will make this a powerful place for other people to be. It's not just the preaching of the word. What good does it do for me to be a great preacher if you don't listen? Like how many sermons can a guy preach and, and if, if it doesn't have an impact on the people, there's nothing powerful about that ministry. But when the people, man, when they're hearing the word, and they're responding to the word. And the word is going to work on them. And it's getting in them. And it's taking root. And it, that you become a preacher of the gospel. You say, well, I don't know if I could get up and preach. You're preaching every day. You just may be an apostle that needs to be tossed out. Like these false apostles. Like you're all part of the church. And so we're all preaching sermons every day. And so what we have to do is just like, man, go. Like, I want to live my life in such a way that people can look at me and they see the Lord in my life. And then he says uh, in verse 6, we'll wind this thing up. He says, but you have this in your favor. Here comes the second bun, right? <laughs> he says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Which I thought Jesus was all about love. Well, apparently not, Right? <laughs> And so what is the takeaway? Hate what is evil. He says, so, so they were commended for hating the practices of these people called the Nicolaitans. And he says, that what they did is they advocated, and we'll talk more about them in one of the other letters. They're brought up again. But they advocated complete freedom in Christian conduct. They, 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 they like were a part of heathen festivals, free love. It was just like, man, this is all about grace and, and don't have to worry about obedience. And, and it, it was like a very unhealthy thing. And so the Ephesians recognized that and they hated it. And so here's the deal. True love for Jesus, true love for Jesus involves a fervent hatred of that which counterfeits and distorts the truth. That's what you hate. Anything that counterfeits or distorts the truth, you should have a hatred for. Let me be really clear on this. You never hate people. But when, when something, like, man, I got people who are, they are li- I got people in my life who are living according to things that, are, that, that the truth is distorted all around them. I love them to death, and I'm extremely motivated in the sense that I hate what they're doing. I hate the, how it's impacting their lives, and I, I have a hatred toward that, and I'm trying to pray over those people that way um, and trying to figure out how do I build a relationship with them and how can I influence them and help them come out of that. So we're not talking about a hatred toward people, but we're talking about a hatred of anything that is false, and, and it's a lot of what's happening in the church today. People tolerate it. 
And clearly we see here, man, that the church is not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to tolerate things that compromise the word. And so when you see it, when you see something that is evil, what is evil? Anything that is a counterfeit of the Lord. Anything that is coming against the kingdom. When you see it, you need to recognize it and you need to hate it. Like you need to hate it. And then you need to look for opportunities to lead people out of it. And don't ever apologize for hating evil. And that, boy, in this politically correct society, everybody wants just to apologize for believing the truth. I'm not apologizing. It's what I believe. I believe the word. And, and if it means that, that I'm going to be persecuted for it, even so, let it be. Like, we need some courageous believers that will recognize what is happening and I'm not saying go out on the street corner and start, get you a bullhorn and start saying, turn or burn. But I am saying, don't be afraid of being courageous enough to know that you have the truth, recognize the truth, and realize when others do not have the truth. And so don't apologize for hating for evil, but it is, it is what it is, and we need to see it that way, because that's where our boldness will come from, okay? And then he closes the letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, what he's saying here is when we heed Christ's warnings and we follow him, we will overcome. We will overcome by the word of the Lord and the blood of Christ and the testimony of Jesus. We'll learn that a little later in the book. And he says that one day you will eat from the tree of life. What in the world is that? Well, if you go back and study the book of Genesis, you'll notice that when the humanity was created in the garden, Adam and Eve, he said, man, you got all this stuff I've created for you to enjoy. I want you to go out there. I want you to enjoy it and manage it for me. But don't, like, don't partake of this thing. So what, why would the Lord do that? Because it's choice. You can't have love without choice. So he creates choice. You say, well, I wish God wouldn't have created choice. Your life would stink if God would not have created choice. It would be like you would just be an automaton. You know, wind them up and let them go. But he created choice. And so that's what that whole thing is about. Don't partake of it. They disobeyed plunged humanity into the, the fall. And in that garden, not only were they forbidden to eat from that tree, they were supposed to eat from this tree. This is the tree of life. This is the tree of sustenance. And so what happens is the curse fell, and now death would happen. And it says that the, they were kicked out of Eden, and flaming swords and cherubim now guard it because the tree of life is in there. Why is that significant? Had they eaten from the tree of life after disobeying God, they would eternally have set their fate separated from God. So he guarded us from the tree of life. So what now humanity is in this broken place. What's going to happen? The Lamb of God is going to come and take away the sin of the world so that all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus are saved so that when the Lamb of God returns as the conquering king, he puts us back in the presence of the tree of life and eternity and perfection is restored. The, the Bible's an amazing book and we see it very clearly what, what is going on here. And so the Lord is promising us, like, man, here it is. Like, this is, this is what your life is about. And so as Sean comes this morning and we land this plane, 
where are you landing with this letter? Here's the big idea. It's really simple. Love Jesus and hate what's against him. Love Jesus, hate what's against him. When you see it in your sister's life, don't hate your sister, but hate what's happening against the kingdom in her life and figure out how do you pray for it? How do you love them through it? And, and when, when you see something in your own life that is coming against the kingdom, hate it. I hate it and, and repent of it. And, and what will happen is you will start being transformed into the image of Christ. You will be a new creation. And that's what this journey is all about. So as you go out this week, man, look for ways in which you love Jesus and look for ways to hate things that are against him. And that's what the Lord asks us to walk out in obedience. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Reflect on that for just a moment. You go, man, maybe, maybe your passion is not where it needs to be, and maybe today is a day to repent, resume, and return. And that's okay, man. Like, you say, well, man, I had to do that last week. Do it again. Do it again until it sticks. Repent, remember, and return. And let the Lord take you on a journey. But we're going to sit here in this moment. And, and so for you, maybe you're like, whoa, man, I never heard the gospel explained like that. And I, I don't know if I even know Jesus. Then, like, all you need to do is confess Jesus as Lord, yourself as a sinner, and ask him to come in and save you from your sins. And that's like, that's the gospel. And then you start to follow him. And so if you make a decision either way, like whatever's going on in your life, I love it when you share that with me. Fill out a connection card, put it in the offering plate in the back on your way out, hand it to me, whatever. But I love to pray over you. Know that I pray over you. Daily, I pray for you guys and ask the Lord to move in, in your life. But let's, let's go to him right now and I'll give you some time to just reflect as Sean leads us in a song of worship. Jesus, we bow before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter you wrote to the church at Ephesus. We thank you, Lord, that um, it speaks to us. It gives us correction as a ministry and as people within the ministry as a body on what we're to be doing, what we're to be looking for. And so help us, Lord, to be a ministry that works hard. Help us to be a ministry, Lord, that is loves the word. Help us never to lose sight of that. Help us to always, Lord, as this cross goes up, <laughs> as, it, as this cross goes up, Lord, spiritually let it be a line in the sand that OPCC stands upon the cross and the word of God. Let us be known in this community as we are in this room right now for, be a church, for being a church that teaches the word. Lord, we want our children's ministry to be amazing. We want our worship to be amazing. We want everything about our church to be like excellent and moving forward. But more than any of that, Lord, we want to be known for the word and teaching people how to surrender to you as Jesus, as Lord and Savior. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.